to you by the Unified Gamers Network and GamerNode. You are listening to Big Red Potion, the podcast that after a summer hiatus comes back to gunsaw its way through Q4. My name is Sam Kibber. I am your returning host. I am joined by the familiar voices of Joe Delia. Yo. Jeffrey Matleff. Hey, guys. And Eddie Inzato. Hey, hey, what's up? Hey, guys. It is it is wonderful to be back. Um but before we get into the frivolity of frank discussion, if you can have frivolity and frank things in the same hotbed, I do not know. Before we get into any of that, um, I think it would be a wonderful idea to uh, get an idea of what you guys have been up to. So I'm going to go to, I think, Jeff first. Jeffrey Matleff, freelance critic. Jeffrey Matleff of the internet. Jeffrey of Matleff. Jeffrey, what have you been up to? Wow. Um, this whole I summer, mean, by the way, not not just not just last day, not last week, the whole summer. What have you been up to? In a word, or, or a few <laughs> sentences. Oh boy, um, lots to live up to. So, um, I I went to E3 and I was covering that for G4, and I also went to PAX and covered that for Eurogamer. Um, wow. Those are both fun, both a lot of work, and I'm sure uh, when we get to Sinan's turn, he and I can compare notes on some of our convention coverage this summer. Um, what else? I Just yesterday I was at a, a retro game convention. Um, oh, wonderful. Yeah. So, so what was that? Where was that? In Portland? Yeah, that was in Portland. I mean, it wasn't nearly as exciting as the other ones, but it, it's more fresh in my memory. Um, there was what, was the, what was the best retro game there? Um... I wasn't there for that long, and it, a lot of it was just kind of shopping for games, and there was a free play area as well, but I mostly just kind of looked around for stuff. We just had the Eurogamer Expo here, and there was a retro section, um, and I lost a dangerous and fairly irresponsible amount of time to Bubble Bobble on the, <laughs> uh, on the Master System, which is not a very good version of Bubble Bobble, but it's Bubble Bobble. But then we stopped because I was there with um, former Big Red Potion guest Jennifer Allen. And um, turns out former Big Red Potion guest Jennifer Allen doesn't play the game fairly. She steals all the fruit and crystals that come up and doesn't let doesn't share, which um, that's not how you play Bubble Bobble. So uh, I wasn't particularly impressed. So I'm a little curious since I've, I've never been to Eurogamer Expo or Europe for that matter. <laughs> <laughs> the two are synonymous. <laughs> um, exactly. And I'm, I'm just, I don't know, it might take too long, so maybe we can discuss it later, but I'm kind of curious how it compares to PAX 33, which you haven't been to, so there's going to be a, an odd uh, translation barrier there. But, uh, but I, I, have, I have been to Gamescom, as you, as you hinted at earlier, which um, is more, I guess, comparable to PAX maybe than E3, but... Um, for, I want to say fourth year of Eurogamer. That could be wrong. It's certainly at least a third. Um, and, you know, it was bigger than last year. I think we we had a bigger hall in Earl's Court, which is one of the main sort of exhibition hall here in London, or one of the main exhibition halls. And um, so I'm guessing if it was bigger than last year, then it was looking at still probably something like 50,000, 60,000 people, which is, you know, decent. Um, but it's a small area, and really, and... Um, you know, especially compared to, to Gamescom, which was, you know, ridiculously big in terms of the, the setting and the number of people who were there. 
Hmm. I mean, I just haven't been to either. Uh, Gamescom sounded a little bit more like E3 just because they, they show a lot of new stuff there, whereas Eurogamer X would have a little bit of new stuff, but a lot of it's kind of catch up for the public. Does that sound I mean, there was a, a, a fair bit of new stuff at Gamescom, but it seemed more around the fans than anything else because, you know, they, they have so many people there. It was um, 250,000 plus this year. So... Um, you know, it seems like it's more for the fans than anything else. And, I mean, you have these incredible stands and very, very much geared... You know, like, for example, they had a 1,000 people watching the, the Defense of the Ancients 2 tournament, just sitting in front of this giant screen watching it. Uh, I, I guess that's what Eurogamer wants to aspire to be, but it seems almost more commercial than... It seems like it, it doesn't want know if it wants to be geared at, you know, being a press thing or geared at being a thing for, for fans or geared at just being a... A, a, a place to shift copies of the games that are coming Q4. So I don't know. Um, I mean, was there we'll a lot say, of upcoming games there? Oh, everything that's that is, that is, that's coming out in the next few months, everything that's big or important was there. And you played Just, Bubble Bobble. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I was. <laughs> I, I, I had my priorities uh, to think about. Um, anyway, that that is more than enough games convention talk. I will then go, I guess, to uh, Mr. Eddie Inzato. Eddie, how has your summer been? What, what has been the highlight of 2011 in the summertime? Oh, wow. Um, well, my summer has been excellent. I'm in Manhattan now. Um, so I'm in my homeland in a way. Oh, I'm on a Quidditch team. I was recently recruited as a new chaser for the New York City Bad Asilisks. I think that's nerdy enough to be allowed on our podcast. <laughs> now, hang on. Let, <laughs> let's clarify. Let's take a few back steps here. A Quidditch team. Muggle Quidditch. That doesn't really clarify. <laughs> <laughs> so, so presumably, um, since no one has yet invented the flying broom, um, this Quidditch is not as similar to the uh, to the films version as uh, one would hope it's pretty similar except we're running around on a field rather than flying around in the sky above a field do you run with a broom between your legs yes please say you do yes i mean i'm not a huge fan of the brooms honestly but (laughs) (laughs) but that does happen so is there a little golden ball that is worth 150 points well it's a little greenish yellowish ball in a sock in the belt of a person dressed in yellow who runs away from the seekers. This is LARP Quidditch, isn't it? Yeah, they can't be that hidden. It's a person. Well, that's the thing, like <laughs> when you start, everyone's eyes are closed and the snitch has the snitch runner is what he's called, has the time to run away and hide and he can go anywhere in the vicinity so essentially yeah we are talking about about LARP Quidditch um that's okay you know it's a legitimate sport (laughs) like it's more um physically engaging than a lot of other sports I've played in my life which is a great many (laughs) so I've, I've enjoyed it a lot actually I am so down with this idea I think this is fantastic. I think this should be the next eSport. Yeah. The funny thing was, I just... I've never seen a Harry Potter movie, 
And a friend uh, just suggested that I read the books, so I started this summer. And the first time I read the description of Quidditch, I was like, oh man, I could make that into a badass game. Like, I would love to play this game as a human being, maybe without the brooms. Um, and then only, like, weeks later did I see on Google+, Plus I saw a link that says Muggle Quidditch. And I'm like, hmm. Saw that it existed and that there's kind of a big league, I suppose, in the northeast United States. I went and found where I could play. You do realize it's the first time we've ever discussed sports on Big Red Potion. <laughs> Hang on, let's not get crazy. Let's not get crazy and officially classify this as a sport. Oh no, it's legit. <laughs> it's the closest we've gotten to sports. This is true. This is true. I am tempted to drop the topic entirely and just go and focus on Muggle Quidditch for the next 40 minutes. But um, in the interest of being a games podcast, um, I feel obliged to, to close with briefly talking to Joe about um, his summer before then briefly touching on my summer. Actually, no, forget my summer. We've covered my summer. I went to Germany. I went to Gamescom. I saw games. Joe, how has your summer been? I said I, I didn't play any Muggle Quidditch, so I guess I didn't have a good a summer. Some people did in this podcast, but if there's anyone listening to this podcast after the previous conversation, uh, I, I did spend a lot of time planning for my wedding, which is coming up uh, a year from now, uh, which was incredibly frightening. Uh <laughs> I've been like thinking, okay, can I live the next year without buying soda? Because that would save me X number of dollars that I could put towards this wedding. Um, so it's been kind of exciting and kind of weird and, and kind of freaky, but uh, very, very interesting. It's, a, it's an experiment in life that I'm, I'm quite enjoying. Um, yes. An expensive but exciting experiment. Yeah. It's one that will pay off, I'm sure, but man, oh man, the next 12 months look like grim death. Okay. So we'll be going to you for our indie games discussion. Indie games, free-to-play games. Yeah, um, you know, hell, I got, I tell you, this, I've been cracking on that, that Ion Online, and there's this League, League of Legends thing that I hear is pretty good, and, uh, <laughs> man, I got that Xbox One game that I never played, I got, I got some stuff. Gears of War 3, because everyone else is playing it, and since we're not playing it, we may as well discuss it. I wanted to touch on um, some of the themes brought up by an article which was posted last week, or, yeah, last week, September 21st, so it was written by Peter Novak, I hope I pronounced that right, Peter Novak probably, and it's called Video Game Reviews and the World of Low Standards, and in the article, Peter essentially says um, that he didn't feel Gears of War 3 deserved the high scores that it was getting because its story wasn't up to the standard of those scores. And he feels that story, the worth of story in games is is uh, seemingly undervalued by critics, um, maybe because they're tied to the trade press. That was his sort of hypothesis, um, as opposed to, say, um, film reviews. For example, he was saying that uh, Transformers, the new Transformers film um, was rated quite 
poorly by um, the likes of the, of the Washington Times, I think, or the New York Times, some Ameri- you, you American papers, those, those big famous ones. You know, people like Joystick, for example, that he mentioned, or Xbox 360 magazine are going to be more likely to um, not be as harsh on a game for a bad story. Now, first of all, I think it's imperative to ask uh, which of you guys have played Gears of War 3? Um, I know I've been seeing Joe tear through it recently. Word. Word. Let's go to Joe first, then. Um, how far are you in? I'm about two and a half hours in. Okay, so you probably sort of second or third act. Uh, yeah, I'm the, uh, the first part-ish of the, the second act, yeah. I think I've... I can remember pretty much lambasting the Gears of War story on the show. I'm pretty sure I can remember you doing it as well, but um, how does... I guess the first question is, how does the story in the third one compare to the second ones, and uh, second and first game, sorry, and even with that relative comparison, what is your what is your thoughts on what are your yeah what are what are your thoughts on the story? I mean, as far as Epic getting better at storytelling, I think there's really no question there. Game was pretty much just Unreal with slightly shinier cutscenes, and the second one wasn't. Uh, you know, they they tried to do something in the second one for whatever reason, and they failed really, really, really miserably at it. Um, and you know, I'm not really that far in the third game, but so far, I mean, just as far as putting together a story and making it seem somewhat cohesive and making the characters not the most unlikable douchebags in the world, they've done a very good job of, of improving on pretty much all aspects, from what I can tell. Okay. Now, with that in mind, just without trying to be relative about those other games to other films, how do you feel about the story? I mean, you know, I hate to kind of say this, but it is what it is, in a way. I don't think that anyone is really coming to Gears of War 3 necessarily for the story, and obviously that's a discussion we can have as to why that is, but I think that for what it is, it's done very well, and no one really went to see Transformers for the story, at least I don't think they did. If they did, that's a very sad person indeed, but I think that, you know, for a big budget action movie type thing, the story in Gears of War 3 is kind of as good as it's going to get these days in a video game. I'm not sure I, I, I quite agree with that last sentence. Yeah, I yeah, I don't know. Uh, well, what did you feel about when you were playing it? Now you've beaten the game, right? I have. I've completed that game tape. To use the words of Justin Acro. Um Okay. Uh, uh, what did I feel? I mean, first of all, uh, let's just kind of explain the story for in vague terms for people who haven't played the game. The, the first two Gears of War games concern, I guess, it is a, a, a post-apocalyptic future where the aliens have. Of, is it aliens, locusts? I never really understood aliens or mutants. I think they're aliens, yes? Yeah. Yeah, so. underground. Underground alien types um, who um, basically have taken over the world, and it's up to a band of uh, steroid-happy uh, muscular types um, led by the uh, the gruff-voiced uh, uh, Marcus Phoenix to basically save the day. And in the first two games, they fight back the, the, the aliens a little bit and then in the third game is the, the final humanity's last hope battle basically um, it is as simple as that there really isn't much else to talk about with the story um, with the first two games like Joe was saying it's, it's a lot of um, you know it's that kind of I, I think of Bad Boys the film the Bad Boys films it's that kind of ridiculous over testosterone uh, catchphrase heavy ridiculous one liner nonsense and sure, but not even done to that level of expertise. Which no, is saying a lot. Yeah, it, it's it's it doesn't quite get that it's naff, right? 
whereas you can sort of say right. maybe the you know something like Die Hard, for example, understands where it's coming from. Um, sure. I think the third game tones it down a little rather than necessarily realizes that you know it's silly. So um, you're getting less of, say, for example, Coltrane being a giant stereotype. Um, there's a character called Augustus Cole, Coltrane, who um, I named him on a list of top ethnic stereotypes because he's ridiculous. Um, he's just, a, I don't know, a pastiche of every famous black comedian you could think of. Um, and it's it's just a little bit silly. Um, in, the third, in the third game, he there's a bit of layering to him. Um, there's In the first act, for example, he he sort of has this hallucination where he imagines himself back on this on a football field or the fresh ball field as it's called in the series. Um, and it's meant to be kind of poignant. It's not really, but it's better than him saying ridiculous one liners all the time. I was just going to say, we do find out that the cold train runs on whole grain, baby. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> which is, which is a good rhyme. I will My give favorite it thing ever. <laughs> um, that's healthy. And like, uh, you know, that sort of the theme throughout the game that the characters, a bit of layering for these characters, but really not like it's still, most the same, just toned down, and I think, I don't know, was that your impression, Joe, from what you've played? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, they kind of took these broad stereotypes, the macho guy, the, the black stereotype guy, the sarcastic guy, they kind of jammed them all together. The second one was even worse than that, where they had the Native American dude who was super strong, oh, yes. and and the uh, the old uh, southerner that was, uh, you know, super old southerner. Um, yeah, this one seems to be a little bit better with that, uh, but it's essentially more of the same... Uh, you know, Epic has their type, and they're they're filling in that role very well in this one. Yeah, right. It's like the equivalent of when I was a, a young boy, and I used to play with action figures, and me and my other eight to ten year old friends would come up with a story to go with our action figure mashing and playing and things like that, or like the eighties movies where there was a lot of just beat 'em up stuff, and they had ridiculous characters. That's like the equivalent to me. You see, the thing that I think saved Gears of War, the first two Gears of War games for me in terms of how bad the story was, was, and it's something that um, I was kind of reminded of by talking to another former Big Red Potion guest, um, Christos Reed, or as he likes to be called now, C.Y. Reed, and he was talking about how the game kind of brings out this <laughs> uh, sort of slight, slightly passive-aggressive <laughs> side out of him, where uh, whenever, I wouldn't say passive-aggressive, it's just aggressive, where whenever he sort of kills anything, he kind of cheers and whoops and says Marcus Venus's catchphrase. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think well, as bad as the cutscenes are, right, as bad as the story is, it, it provides a platform for when Marcus Phoenix is chainsawing through the alien and he'll say something like, nothing but bits, right? And, you know, it, uh, it facilitates that and those moments are what the game is really about, is having these ridiculous characters say these ridiculous one-liners in these action sequences in part of the game so it's it's that's where it feels like Die Hard to me when it's not actually telling the story right. when it's just you're in the game and you're chainsawing some alien up and saying you know all over the place some ridiculous one one liner um, and that's what I like it for and I, and I think because it's toned down in free it, it's in a weird way that actually I don't know let kept, let, kept the focus on that side in the game, right? So it seemed a bit, a bit better balanced. Having said that, the story is still not great. Um, but it's and... so enjoyable with the with the characters as they are. Because, like like C Y Reed, I find myself when I play, 
I just talk constantly while playing a, a Gears of War game. Even if I'm in the room by myself, I just put on Marcus Phoenix's voice and just talk about everything that's happening on the screen to no one. Like, there's some locusts <laughs> over there. Can you record this? Gotta go kill And yeah. just play that on the show. <laughs> I would love to hear an Eddie commentary of any game, especially Gears of War. In the Marcus voice. Yeah. And it's, Can you do the Marcus it's, voice? It's a great for deal. For the of remainder fun. of the show. For the remainder of the show, yeah, probably not. I, I would need for, for one sentence. I need at least like one clip of his voice to remember exactly what it sounds like, and then I can do my best. Oh. <laughs> so that's, that's disappointing. I'm disappoint you Next all. time. Next time, Next I'll do time. an entire show in Marcus Phoenix voice. Wow! If that doesn't bring the listeners back, <laughs> nothing <laughs> will. Um, I get what you mean, though. Like I. I, I've been sort of, you know, I, I didn't actually get it so much for the first two Gears of Wars games. I think this one is, in terms of the play, to talk about the play for a little bit, and then to use the horrible sectioning as story and play, which I kind of hate myself. But in Gears of War, it feels very legitimate. Um, the actual gaming side um, is very good. That you know, things is, to get into boring games criticism. Uh, cliches things like the level design or you want to call that um is really really good especially multiplayer um and it's just a far more atmospheric um better use of um environments things like that and it's it's a better the game is the best in the free by some distance for me um and i think because i've been enjoying the game so much i've had more of those kind of let's call them cy moments um uh, for me it's been mock chainsawing the girlfriend like going up to her and just through her while she's watching a television show and um, her giving me a very quizzical look in return, that kind of thing. Um, and, you know, I, I guess it, it's, it kind of brings out the stupid teenager in you, which is not necessarily a bad thing. I guess I, I haven't played your three yet, so I can't really comment on that, but... It sounds like from talking to you all, none of you really like the story that that much. Like you said, it's better, but I, I sense some hesitation that it still wasn't anything you'd recommend. Oh, it's still but, trash story-wise. I mean, really, let, let's not beat, beat the bush around it. It's bad. It's a yeah. bad story. So I, I guess maybe the where I wanted to guide the conversation was, assuming that the story is bad, how should that reflect the score? Because the, the Canadian business article you know, seemed to imply that a lot of critics were acknowledging that the story was just dreck, but still gave the game very high scores, and whether or not that um, was, you know, a, a commendable thing to do or not. And I guess I'm more curious in what... It, it, do you feel like the the trash story detracted, or it sounds like you you felt that it kind of added the to its nonsense, in a, in a sense? Um, as someone who reviewed it, and this is something that Zan wanted me to talk about, um, and so I shall. Uh, I reviewed it for um, a site called Xbox 360. It was my first review for them. Um, and uh, I'll be full, fully disclosing about this. The first score I sent, um, talked about it with the editor, and we agreed that my review didn't read as the score read. Right, So I gave the game initially 75, and the end score was something like 82 or 81. So it's only a few six or seven points, right? But my point with the score being a bit lower, interesting enough, was because I thought I didn't really want to talk about how the story is not great, and so I didn't really touch on it, because I think it's kind of a given, right? I feel like people, like Joe was saying, you go into Gears of War, 
you're kind of not buying it for the story. Um, but I did feel like the story was part of what was wrong with the game. It was not the whole every point, right, that I'd taken off, but it was enough to take down a few. But I didn't want to concentrate on the, in the review, and hence the review read quite glowingly. I also think 75 is a very good score, by the way, which I'm, um, you know, whatever. Um, so I think I think there is a case to be made for, as Joe is saying, people aren't buying this for the story and should, and should therefore the review be geared around what people want the game to deliver. And then there's the other side of what the what the critic actually thinks, right? I, I guess that it, it kind of depends on what the focus of the game is, and a lot of it also depends on expectations. We discuss reviews are very subjective. So I think most people go into Gears of War not really expecting the story. But to be fair, those games do have more emphasis on story than a lot of games. I mean, you play something like... Um, I'm trying to think off the top of my head. Um, I mean, I just play like... Bit trip complete, and I guess I guess that has a story too, but in a very different sense. It's not as time consuming. There aren't like there's very little cutscenes, or or in a game like Shadow of the Colossus, it also has very few cutscenes. And I, I feel like in that context, there is still a pretty strong narrative drive, or at least an attempt at narrative drive. Um, there's far more so in the second Gears Award than the first one, and I didn't feel like that was the correct direction for the series, at least for me. Um, so I, I feel like... I, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is, if the shoddy writing was generally distracting to you, then I then I think it's fair. And if it isn't, then, you know, that's fair too. But I think that that... Maybe that's what the, um, uh, Peter Novak was saying in the Canadian Business article was, you know, for him it really did deviate, and Tom Schick had a, a similar reaction at spacing out where you're viewed at a uh, game shark I believe and I guess do you feel like too many people are being maybe dishonest and saying that they didn't that it didn't bother them or do you think that it really just didn't bother them I don't think people are being dishonest because um, I say a, a very strong word um, I, I, I just I, I, I don't know I think um, I'm surprised at that story being able to affect someone so adversely because it's a bad story but it's not it's not like it's trying to be a good, I don't know like it actually the third one funnily enough is trying to be a bit more like a good story um, which almost makes it sort of worse that it isn't um, so I felt about the second game I, I don't think it's quite as bad as the second game you know the second game was really a very very bad story and I would have definitely given a, a lower overall score for the second game because I found particular moments I don't want to spoil it for people who um, have not played the game. Not that you can really spoil that story anyway. <laughs> then it's been spoiled by the writer itself. But, you know, um, there are particular moments where it's just so poorly directed in particular. Um, and you know what? The third one makes those mistakes too, but not nearly to the same degree. Um, I think it doesn't... If the, you, know, you know what? If everything else wasn't so strong, maybe it would have affected me a bit more. It affected me enough, but, you know, I've still thoroughly enjoyed the game. So for me, it, it deserves a score. And I think that's where a lot of critics are coming from. Now, I wonder, is there a case, an argument to be made that um, that's because they were expecting a poor story, they didn't give enough attention to the story? It's very that, difficult that to maybe? fault a game that is so good in other ways for, for its story, uh, especially when you consider the way a video game review is 
thought up in the mind of the of the critic. Uh, like, it's not necessarily a breakdown of individual parameters. You know, like you're not saying okay, a game is or a, a video game review score is divided up into this percentage of story, this percentage of play mechanics, this percentage of graphics, this percentage of audio, and then add that up together and that's your final score. Realistically, that's A, a terrible way to write a review, and <laughs> B, not the way that it's really done. It's more of the the sum is greater than, than the parts in a lot of cases, and this being one of those cases, maybe. Having said that, there are a lot of sites that still use very structured reviews, and I and you know I know certain reviewers who are very much in favour of this structured review, and you know usually that is story, story graphics. Um, well, everyone knows where I stand now. <laughs> controls, you know, I, and I'm with you. Don't don't get me wrong, but you know I can think of a few major sites um, who still use similar. You know IGN for one, right? So they also um, say it's. The overall score is not an average. Reflective of the, yeah, not on average. Um, which is interesting, right? Um, so that, that almost suggests that you shouldn't use the original <laughs> breakdown of, of story graphics, whatever. But, whatever. I, I want, I wanted to, to get Joe's impression as someone, you know, who has reviewed games like Gears of War. If if you had to review the game now based on its on its story, Joe, would you would you consider into your score? Or would you be like, you know what, it's just not relevant to me? I mean, I think it has to be considered definitely to some extent. I just think that for me, in playing Gears of War, nothing that I've seen or heard has made me have less fun than I was having. And I think the second game actually had that. I think after the big event of the second game, there was some things that brought me out of the experience quite a bit. the other part of, um, of Peter's article which was interesting was the idea that uh, you know the games press are more geared to be this kind of critical or, or, or not this kind of critical I guess um, than mainstream press newspapers um, whatever uh, which you know it's um, it's a bit of a controversial assertion I would have thought um, and maybe that's the bias of me as being part of the games press talking but um and I think that that I'm not so sure, right, where the where the footing for his argument is on that. Um, does Jeff, Eddie, do you want to do you want to be on his side, or are you more on my side? Which side are you on, guys? Um, I, I'm with you, Sinan. Like, I think I, I can understand where he's coming from, and I think that sometimes writers of the mainstream press, um, if they're not as well versed in games, they, they kind of judge the story on a different criteria. And, you know, they'll look at things like the overall plot, which, you know, even for a good game, let's move away from Gears of War for a second, um, looks at, looks at like Half-Life, which, you know, people say is one of the, the best standards of storytelling in games, but it's very simple. It's, it basically is the same story of Gears of War. Aliens have come down, there's human survivors, you gotta save the world. You know, there's a little more to it, but that's basically 
the nutshell. If it was made into a movie, it wouldn't be, you know, it might be an okay summer blockbuster, but there's really not a whole lot going on there. So, um, I think that, you know, with games, it's, it's more about building that framework. Um, I think Sinan and I probably discovered this article on a, a group of, of game journalists that were, that we belong to. And I think it was Kyle Orland who likened the analogy to porn, that there's just <laughs> a little bit of a framework that kind of moves you to the next scene and provides some context for the sexiness. And, you know, much <laughs> I like, missed that analogy. That's brilliant. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, Gears of War, they provide just enough context for the, um, with the chainsaw sodomy. <laughs> tying it back to porn. <laughs> <laughs> I like that a lot. Uh, yeah, that, but that's true. That's oh what my it God. is. Right, but unfortunately, if we want the video game industry to progress beyond the equivalent of porn, then someone's going to have to hold de- the development studios responsible for not creating anything worth consuming on a a narrative level. Um, obviously, we have different genres in games, and some can be more serious and more focused on story, but uh, it's always nice when you can have a game that is pure joy to control, you know, and to, to actually play, but still have something to engage with mentally at the same time. Um, I would say Gears of War is at whilst it attempts storytelling as you know we've agreed as you know it's got cutscenes very cinematic presentation i would still say it's at the low end of what my own personal spectrum of good to bad stories and games you know it would be at the bottom of that and i can think of you know i i actually wouldn't place half-life near the top i think it half-life has a great atmosphere um more than it has a good story um particularly after two and i think half-life two has a good, a really well-developed world, you know, a really interesting world, rather than necessarily a great story. And um, I think it's more episode one, episode two, where the story improves. Uh, you know, I would look to something like, um, gosh, excellent story. You know, maybe um, some of the more simple things. You remember when we talked about, or, or we did a story show. Do you remember Joe with Carl and and Cy, and, and they mentioned Pac-Man and uh, Super Mario Brothers. As yes. their, you know, best examples of, and I, you know, in some ways, you know, I'd say look to some. For example, I'm playing through Dark Souls at the moment, and the story is very simple. It's very threadbare, but it you kind of almost get a your own personal story because that's how the, the way the game is geared. You kind of make the story for yourself as you go through, and I think that's what games can do fantastically. And I, that's almost in a way, I'd put that kind of storytelling. You know, I really like that side of things in games. Um, Certainly. And I mean, I'm not advocating, I don't want to like come off like I'm advocating that if you remove the gameplay aspect of games and sit back and observe it as if it were a different type of media, that that's how you have to judge it. Because I feel some people coming from other areas of entertainment okay. look at it that way, but I'm definitely not. I do think it's a a collection of uh, factors. And I don't know, just certain things, certain games have more to them even without having a clearly fleshed out script to them like those games with great atmosphere where you create your own story so it it's there's no formula to it so to 
kind of come back to that thoughts of are people expecting a poor story with Gears of War 3, therefore they're less critical of it. Um, is maybe there are lower expectations of games, especially from the game's press? Of story of, of you know and I'm, I'm, I know that we are being very sectional and you know compartmentalizing things and putting things you know this is story this is games but um, at the same time you know Gears of War would fit into this category where there's story and games um, with that kind of game do you think we come into it and think you know well the story doesn't if it doesn't really matter the story is not so good because here's the game the yeah. game's good I think certainly video game critics own more often tend to notice story when it's great and completely ignore it when it's bad. Maybe not completely ignore it, but are are less right. likely to bring it up in a discussion if it's not so good than if it is outstanding. I think you have a point there, actually. I mean, I'm just thinking of, of games that I've played. Like, there's a lot of games I really love that I acknowledge have terrible stories that I just love for the gameplay mechanics. Well, it's such a um, like the Devil May Cry thing. series would be a perfect example of something like that. And I'm just like, yeah, story shit, whatever. You know, hit some buttons, slash some things. The way we engage with this form of media, it's just on so many different levels. And it's such a diverse media. I mean, you know, I mentioned, like, sometimes Devil May Cry won't care, but if all games are like that, it, it would get really tiring. There are other games where um, more conventional storytelling is a lot more important to it. God, I, I was hoping we wouldn't... It would, it's always me who brings it up, right? And I was hoping, you know... Heavy would, rain. Yeah. <laughs> but it has to, because, you know, you, it leads in from that, right? Because Heavy Rain... I almost brought it up, and then I just dropped the you, second half of my sentence, because I'm like, I don't want to open that. Okay, you know what? I'll, I'll say it in half a minute, and then we'll move on. Okay. But, but honestly, Heavy Rain, I heard some people say, oh, I didn't really care about this being, the, you know, that side of the story being NAFTA being so many plot holes, but because I really enjoyed the experience, which is just another way of saying I really enjoyed the game bits. Yeah. Right? You know, so, um, but that, if you, that game was all about the, how, you know, how could you measure that game without, without saying something about the story and how bad it was? Because it's a bad story. It's a, you Subjective. know, no way around it. Well, the way it's my half, friend, Sorry, um, it's a half minute gone. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, that's it's fine. A very I was saying, the, the way my friend uh, Andrew Groan uh, described it is that he had to give props to David Cage for making him care about a story that shitty. And you know, I didn't care about it, but like I could kind of understand that. Even but if, if you if you care about the shitty story, then then that surely should make you annoyed at the shitty story. Yeah, <laughs> going forgiving of the shitty story, which just confuses me. Maybe this is what Peter's talking about, like. Maybe we shouldn't be forgive. Maybe we can forgive games like Gears of War free, right? But we shouldn't be forgiving games like Heavy Rain. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, again, just, it just depends so out. much. I'll just check out of the podcast oh. now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but you know, everyone, I know we have differing opinions on Heavy Rain, but you have to admit, Eddie, whatever your views of it, that there are plot holes, there are problems with that script, there are problems with the voice acting, things like that. There are problems in that game related to things which we would commonly associate with narrative. Sure. Okay, but let's move on to Heavy Rain, because there are other examples, though. There are other games which are all about their story and and fail to to really hit the mark. Um, And I do think that we can go, but yes, wasn't it great to 
wasn't it visceral to do this or wasn't it immersive and against this kind of cliche of games criticism? Is that just games criticism or is that gamers themselves as well? Is that just how we approach games as a as gamers? I don't know. I, I guess I feel like all video games kind of instill a certain feeling and in certain games the the more quote unquote story elements are um are more important to that. Like if you play a point and click adventure like Grim Fandango, then the the conventional storytelling things like dialogue characters are, are hugely important. But you're playing something like, you know, Bionic Commando, and that stuff really doesn't matter. It's all about swinging and having very exhilarating gameplay. Right. Although, you know, with Bionic Commando, um, it's funny how that bad story affected my experience purely because of the main character. I don't know what, what would you think, Joe? I think we mem- I remember us talking about how much we disliked the main character and started with the dreadlocks before the game even came out and when I actually heard his voice and heard him talking it didn't get any better no uh, and the plot twist in that also uh, <laughs> I've never laughed so hard at a game I don't think yeah, like that's a perfect example right there of a game that's like it's distractingly bad and yeah. I, I actually wrote a retrospective on that game basically saying that I liked it more every time I played it because I stopped caring about the story the first time I kind of embraced it like holistically and I was like okay swinging's fun story shit and then I just stopped caring I'm just like okay I'm having fun you know well, skip cutscene skip cutscene you know Sinan brought up heavy rain so I feel obliged to bring up the thing that I always bring up and the downfall of the Silent Hill series has been directly related <laughs> to the stories that have gotten worse and worse over the years you know the, the first three games were pretty much entirely the enjoyment was entirely based around the story uh, not that they were all that great at that time, but there was some things in those games that those games did very well and were kind of ahead of, ahead of its time as far as the story. And the more recent entries have kind of had piss-poor stories, but have ramped up the action and adventure elements to a certain extent, of, of, excluding the uh, the Wii one, of course, which was a, a shining example of how Silent Hill can be good again. But, you know, Homecoming and Silent Hill 4 and, and uh, Origins on the PSP, all those games kind of emphasize action over any of the story elements, and when you get down to it, the action of Silent Hill is not very good. Right. Um, and right. that's really the key problem. And and, and if, with this new one, which seems to be entirely focused on action, there's almost no real reason to play it. Um, you know, you know, Resident Evil, you can play despite the bad story. You actually kind of indulge in it a little bit because those games are fantastically bad in all the right ways. Mm-hmm. But other games like Silent Hill, which on the surface seem very similar to Resident Evil, you know, can't quite get by with, with the same type of story problems. You know, I want to turn this conversation on its head a little bit and look at a game that's sort of, that also got great reception, that's sort of the opposite of Gears of War 3 that way, and that's Uncharted and Uncharted 2. Those games had... You know, they had good gameplay, good set pieces. They were very good games. But it seems like the thing that that really elevated them, that kind of put them on the map, was the writing. Because they had really great dialogue and these interesting characters. And if, I feel like if Uncharted had, like, really shoddy writing, they'd be, you know, fairly well acclaimed. But I don't think they'd be anywhere near the as memorable um, experiences, and you know, as hailed as they are right now. They'd be Tomb Raider. Ooh, sick burn. Ouch. Um, but but true. It's funny enough, actually, at the at the Eurogamer Expo, Nolan North was there, um, mm-hmm. along with um, I, someone from Naughty Dog. Yeah, I saw the um, interview with North uh, for yeah for Eurogamer. For Eurogamer, um, and he was talking about uh, all that he goes through for Uncharted, and you know, it, I'm glad you brought it up because I think 
when a lot of people say Uncharted has the best story in games, and I'm doing mock air quotes, which don't come across on a recording of audio, but, um, you know, I think that's where we need to be more specific with terminology, because for me, Uncharted has the best directing in games and some of the best script writing, but that story is Indiana Jones, and anyone who says it's more than Indiana Jones is lying to themselves. Um, that's just Indiana Jones. Uh, it's, you know, I like the characters, I, I love the games, um, but uh, ultimately... <laughs> You know, I can see where everything comes from, and it's not trying to be anything else. It knows what it is, but it, the directing in particular, little touches in the in the Uncharted two, for example, when you jump into the pool at the top of the building, and 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 Nathan Drake uh, plays a game of uh, polo, whatever Marco Polo, Marco Polo, yes, sorry, with uh, with Chloe, or um, that's fantastic, and it's genius, and it was just a wonderful little touch in there. These touches both in the game outside of cutscenes and inside of cutscenes. Um, right. That's just characterization through dialogue, not necessarily the overarching story involved in, in the game. Right, because the story at the end of the day is is they go to find some treasure and um, there's some sex and there's some bad guys. I mean, let's not kid ourselves. This is not Shakespeare. Um, uh, not to say Shakespeare is the pinnacle story, but you know what I mean. It's It's just... It's not. It's not Schindler's List. It's not uh, War and Peace. This is this is Indiana Jones. Indiana Jones is great, but it's not the best story in film. And nor is Uncharted. Nor should Uncharted be the best story in games. Um, I, w- I would love to see something like. I would have loved for Heavy Rain to been the best story in games because that's what should be something like that. But um, it's not. And. Um, I think that's where we that's where it's it's dangerous to get into this more mainstream media uh, idea I uh concept of splitting things into story and game which is what this article essentially does and with Gears of War it's fine but with Heavy Rain it's more complicated with Uncharted it's more complicated there are other factors like this were you know Jeff that's the first thing you said at the top of the show there are other factors going on um or I think it was Eddie I'm sorry but um you know that's that's why I kind of dislike this article because a it's Gears of War. I don't think it's a good 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 example to to, to to touch on, and b it just leads into a very messy discussion of the uh, of what's relevant, right? And it, and I feel like games are more complicated, especially because they're interactive. And to just say story, the story in this game is bad, or the story in this game is good, is dodgy, very dodgy. Right, I mean, that's why I brought up Uncharted, just because it's a very similar type of game to Gears of War, insofar as a third-person cover shooter, but one, the story is kind of detracting, and the other, it enhances the game. Well, I would say that the story in Uncharted is at least more interesting and less generic than than Gears of War. It's still pretty generic, though, isn't it insane? How is it as common? Um, Because Mm. there's plenty of sort of intrepid explorer you know it's had a bit of a revival recently um you know you've got national treasure and uh, return of indiana jones and other things mummy was kind of like that if only it was actually called return of indiana jones i like that title way more (laughs) the return of indiana jones without any aliens (laughs) spoilers um but uh you know um i i think it's certainly more interesting than Gears of War, which is very 
very generic. I, I agree with Jeff that it's not it's not really that amazing. I mean, we're not talking about something that's a complicated thriller or um, something that's very philosophical, something that will goes into really dark history. You know, I can think of a number of amazing films that touch on really incredible subjects. And you look at the best games, what we celebrate as the best games, and even the best games we celebrate with the best stories, and they're very um, generic stuff. Like, we say the Bioware games have great stories. This is fantasy fair or space exploration. This is not, you know, amazing stuff, right? Um, Half-Life, like like Jeff said, I, I contend with it getting mentioned in Best Story, but again, that's just fighting um, aliens in a post-apocalyptic world. And a lot of games are fighting aliens in a post-apocalyptic world. We say Fallout has a great story, uh, or it has great story elements, right? Uh, really? You know, um, I think... Those are those little scenarios are fantastic, but in terms of a collective way of telling a story, it's not. It's not. There's no collective story there. Maybe where where, like I said, getting into this discussion, it's terminologies and, and being so categorical of how we split things into game and story is dodgy, and that's why again I dislike this article. But um, I I don't know. I don't know. Maybe maybe you have you are onto something there, Eddie, as well. That maybe we should celebrate Uncharted because it does just because it doesn't have a super duper Shinder's List type story it doesn't mean it doesn't have great script writing, great directing, great characters, etc. Yeah, something I wanted to bring up, and feel free to edit this out if it doesn't fit the flow. Um, but I, I recently played Deus Ex, the, you know, the new one, and I hadn't played a Deus Ex game before, so I didn't really know what to expect. And I just kind of assumed that because everyone hailed it as a classic, that it must have this great story. And, um, you know, I'm still not sure having not played the first one, but um, playing the new one, I, I really enjoyed it. But, I wouldn't say this, the writing was bad exactly because it deals with a really interesting topic and it deals with it in an interesting way. Um, this whole idea of enhancing the human body with uh, with machines. And, and like right. that was really well, well done. But the main character is incredibly generic. He's just this gruff-sounding guy who goes around helping people. Totally forgettable. You know, could not care less. But when I was actually playing the game, that didn't really bother me. It bothered me when I would stop playing and I'd take a step back, and it, it felt like a huge missed opportunity that they had this this mystery and this um, story involving revenge and, and loss and everything set up in the opening half hour. But they don't really... There's never any real connection there. And I feel like that kind of held it back from greatness a little bit, but it didn't really bother me that much Like while I was in the moment. I just enjoyed infiltrating these compounds and, you know, knocking guys out. Do you know what that reminds me of? That reminds me of Alpha Protocol with the main character in that. Now, I don't think Alpha Protocol is comparable to Deus Ex, although I think Obsidian are good writers. Yeah, but the main character, you know, you have to split him down these sort of three different paths of, of his dialogue. Um, and he doesn't he kind of sounds the same whenever he talks whenever he's one and he's not brilliantly acted and he's kind of not the best character really um but it didn't really bother me because the actual story the narrative in that game i should say to be more specific is quite decent everything else is not great and it's not a great story but it's told well it's a bad story told well if that makes sense um um so i can see that and i think it almost sounds a bit like a, a, a glorified gordon freeman syndrome in a way it's, yeah, he may talk, right, but it's kind of like I've heard a lot of people say they wish Gordon Freeman were, had a more active role in the Half-Life games. Mm-hmm. That, that could, made, could have made it more interesting. Before we, before we 
get into the final uh, final stage of the show, guys. Um, kind of closing thoughts, I guess, on on Peter's article. Uh, let's go around the room. I'm sure I've given mine, so I'll go to um, I'll go to Joe first. I think in many cases, if you've got the gameplay to back it up, you can get away with a mediocre story. But um, I don't necessarily think that, like like the author suggests, that we should necessarily condemn games that have kind of mediocre to bad stories if the rest of the package is okay. But I do kind of wish, I see where he's coming from, and I do kind of wish that stories were more important in games, because in most cases, you know, heavy rain notwithstanding, it seems like they did put a lot of attention into that thing that they put out, that not enough focus is being really played onto stories, and unless you're, you know, Bioware or, or somewhere on the ilk, you're not really even trying to come up with something entertaining or interesting, um, which is sad, but I also don't think the game should be condemned for that in most cases. Wonderful. Eddie? Um, I think a lot of the problem in the video game industry comes from approaching reviews and critiques from an enthusiast perspective rather than a critical perspective. And I'm, I'm really overwhelmed lately by excessive, just, just excessive praise for games that people expect that they should be praising. Uh, when everything in the industry could probably benefit from a little moderation. So you think that maybe, is that related to story, do you think, or is that just a separate problem uh, that's, with the industry? That's a problem that encompasses gameplay and story. I think that when playing something new that is enjoyable, the the propensity to praise it and forget the little bits that aren't so good it is is very high like you see a lot of oh the game was great but it was just held back by a few little problems but those don't matter well what were those problems let's let's detail those how can those be improved and why are you still rating this game a 9.5 um okay and i think it, we're just very we are very forgiving and i think it has to do with feeling closely tied to this industry because most of the writers grew up with it fighting for it in a world that was hostile to games coming up and becoming something of significance. So it's almost like we are in defense of games regardless of what they do wrong. And I say we just collectively as as general uh, video game reviewers, critics. Maybe maybe something to get into more in another show, I think. Because I, I, I feel like that's... Yeah, um, but I don't see how that's necessarily related to story. I know we, we're, that's the second half of his article, kind of touching on that, but uh, yeah, another time, I said, I think. Um, I, I definitely, there's more to discuss there. Jeff, how about you? Um, I'm going to close with a, a quote from Ludwig Kietzmann on this very article. Um, he said, There are plenty of games which treat flat with care, and they're better for it, but there's so much more to consider. Is the gameplay adequately motivated? Is the premise believable? And does it support the mechanics available to you? The quote-unquote story of a game is entwined with what you see, hear, and do every minute, and it's not, not front and center as it is in a book or movie. The dialogue or characters may be awful, but that's not the whole story. And he goes on to cite something like like L.A. Noir that actually you know was well-written. Um, you know, the rest of the quote, uh, the dialogue, acting, and plot are all solid, but man, what a terrible bit of writing for a video game. If you have to deliberately, excuse me, deliberately act like an 
people and accept the, the game's punishment because the plot demanded it, that's bad writing. And I think that just goes to show the how much different one has to evaluate writing um, when looking at a game than any other medium. Yeah, um, I think that echoes my thoughts, and that puts better what I was trying to say. Um, I just think games are more complicated than to necessarily say this equates to a bad plot, whatever that means in a game which can have choices, which, like you say, does has action outside of cutscenes, um, etc., etc., to necessarily say that Gears of War 3 has a bad story when we've all sort of kind of agreed those enjoyable moments of Gears of War when you are playing as this character soaring through this alien, which is what you do in the majority of the game. Um, there's maybe a room for a debate there. Before we go, um, rather than plug ourselves, because, you know, I can do that in a, in a quick breath of air. I can say that Eddie Zato is the uh, editor and uh, man behind most of Gamer Node, if not all of it. If not, even the bits that you don't see are, are really going on, the little things behind the scenes. And you can find out at GamerNode.com what are the fantastic reviews, previews, features, interviews, and everything else, including his own podcast. You know, I can plug Eddie in, in, in a second. I can say that Jeffrey Metlef can be found at places like G4, Eurogamer, GamePro, uh, MagLife, everywhere under the sun on the internet. And uh, you should probably go read his stuff at uh, his blog, Jumping Mustache. And I can say Joe DeLeo is a fantastic person who does some fantastic work and can be found on Twitter at SlamVanderHuge. Uh, and I could say myself that I'm Sinan Cooper, and you can find me at Shonen on Twitter and at Shonen.com. But I'd be more interested, guys. I'd be more interested in knowing what you would recommend to everyone. So um, I'm going to start with me, and I'm going to say I would recommend Gears of War 3, <laughs> because <laughs> even if it has a bad story, quote-unquote, um, everything else is fantastic. It's a really well-done game. There are problem, There are other problems, and Neddy says, mm, you know, maybe I should have taken those problems and given it a 4 or 3 or 2. No, I'm, I'm being mean to Eddie. Um, I still think it's a fantastic game despite its issues and um, if you want to play with me online please do my Xbox Live Gamertag is Shoinan and uh, yeah that's me so I'm going to go to Eddie first Eddie what would you recommend for our listeners what, what should they do what should they check out oh man um, I think they should check out oh this would be a spoiler so that would be no good um, <laughs> jeez uh, I, would, I would recommend trying out Warhammer 40k Space Marine which is space marine. Yeah, which is uh, very similar on the surface and at first glance to something like Gears of War, but does a great job at incorporating two modes of combat, uh, all behind a pretty common theme of uh, aggressive brutality <laughs> uh, throughout <laughs> the game, and and putting in kind of generic story as well. <laughs> But it was, a, it was uh, an case. enjoyable game to play. Excellent. So that's uh, Space Marine. That is on 360, PS3, and PC. 
Yeah. I believe. I want to say it's on PC too. I'm not, uh, I'd assume That's so. That's right. Hey, thank you, Joe. Um, whereas Gears of War 3 is on Xbox 360. Um, so I will go to Joe next. Uh, Joe, what would you recommend to our listeners? Mid Rhythm for the iPhone. iOS, actually. Uh, it's the app that uh, Harmonix just put out where basically you record five or six video clips for yourself uh, making musical sounds and then it edits it into this crazy wild music video uh, where the music is made up entirely by your video clips. And it's freaking ridiculous. And it's $1.99, so you should really go buy it right now. That's wonderful. The first thing I saw of that was um, Joystick's Justin McElroy. I don't know if you've seen it, Joe. But he his first video was called Cats. And it was him saying the word cats over and over to some, I guess you would call it electronica, with lots of pictures of cats. It was, um, it was inspiring. Did you know? And it made me want to, um, to not look at cats for quite a long time. I'm sitting right next to a cat at this very moment. Like He's adorable. <laughs> oh. Um. So, Is that what Jeff. You recommend, Jeff? I I recommend my cat to everyone. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So so before we go on to Jeff, uh, so that's VidRhythm, correct? Yes? Yeah, VidRhythm. VidRhythm on iOS for $1.99, probably £1.49 over here. Um, And you can get that for your iPhone and your iPad and maybe PC? Probably not. Um, Anyway, Mr. Jeffrey Metliff, um, Apart from your cats, who I'm sure is adorable. Um, I just don't want to see him. I just want to know. I just want to know what you'd recommend. Okay. Um, so I'm going to recommend a piece of writing instead, and I uh, think arguably the best piece of writing that I've read all year about video games was. Can I guess what you're going to say? Uh, is, yeah, it going sure. to be, is it going to be Simon Parkin's Call of Duty XP piece? No, that was very good, though. Oh, okay. That was very good. Um, you're on the right track, though. Uh, it was another Eurogamer article from about probably at least a month ago. Um, Christian Donlin's retrospective on Animal Crossing, a uh, game yes. that I really could not have cared less about. I actually did buy it once years back, tried it out. wasn't my thing. You know, gave it a little college try, but it, it just didn't take with me. And, you know, I read the piece because I like Christian's writing a lot, and it, it was really fantastic so I guess that is it um, this has been the return of Big Red Potion Joe DeLeo has already left us uh, as you might have guessed listeners who uh, are still with us after a hiatus he was car casting and that means that he's now been arrested um, so I'm left with Eddie and Zato to say goodbye farewell and Jeffrey Matt to say goodbye bye and it is farewell from me we will see you in a month's time hopefully no hiatuses with standing Bye for now.